This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number five of Navigating the Newsroom with Andrew and Andrew. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Andrew Robinson. And this is the podcast on Film Geek Radio devoted exclusively to analysis and discussion of HBO's The Newsroom. And we actually have a very special guest for you on today's show. He has been a contributor for both Sound on Sight and Dork Shelf. He has a new podcast coming out called The Just a Tad Cast. Corey Tad, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about episode number four of The Newsroom. It's an episode called I'll Try to Fix You. It was written by Aaron Sorkin, and it was directed by Alan Pohl. Andrew, why don't you go ahead and do what you normally do? Give us a synopsis. What happened this week? So this week, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman came... <laughs> Magnets! <laughs> whoa, Actually, whoa, honest, whoa. Spoilers! Spoilers, okay? I have not seen the new episode of Breaking Bad yet. Don't you dare spoil anything about Breaking Bad. Okay? Oh, guys, Breaking Breaking Bad is back. Why are we talking about Newsroom? Why? All right. Um, What happened? (laughs) So, this week in Newsroom, um, just like how... It seems to be the beginning of 2012 now, it's New Year's, and Will McAvoy and the team are all deciding to give us more or less a clip show as to what they've not been talking about over the news in the program. However, they decide to do basically the same thing within the episode, as there are so many throwaway news pieces that we have to endure that they never talk about for more than around two minutes, inclusive of watching Will... Instead of last week, in which he got to bang every woman that walked through the doors of Newsnight, he gets alcohol thrown in his face by every woman that walks through the doors of Newsnight. As it seems, there is a plot to be had between the owner of AWN, the parent company of ACN, and Will McAvoy, the tea party bashing news anchor. Um... That's all I can remember to say. Is there anything else important that happened in this episode, Andrew? You know, I can tell this episode left a really big impression (laughs) on you. (laughs) Well, let's see. Uh, There was some stuff involving Bigfoot. There was some stuff involving uh, Maggie and Jim, as usual. And the episode ended with the Gabriel Giffords shooting and we got to see how the uh, staff handles that. Uh, Corey, since uh, we're, we're privileged to have you on the show today, why don't we start off with you? First of all, tell us what, you, what your general thoughts are on the newsroom so far, and then why don't you uh, tell us specifically what you thought of this episode. Okay, so I thought that the the show started off kind of fine but had some serious flaws and i'm sure we'll get to them because they're fully present in this episode um and then kind of each episode steadily got worse 
And I would say that this one was probably the worst episode of the bunch. Although, strangely enough, it had some of the most fun kind of scenes and bits of dialogue from out of all the episodes. So, uh, I, kind of my reaction's a bit mixed, I guess. Can you, can you just tell us what specifically really irritated you about this episode? And maybe we'll talk about it a little later. Um, well, I think the two main points of irritation, the first uh, is just that I find the characters are not all that engaging. Like, I, it's weird four episodes into a series that, you know, I think each episode is, what, 60 minutes long or at least 60 minutes. And I still feel like I don't really know the characters all that well, except for Jeff Daniels. Um, so that's a problem, but then kind of the bigger issue is the, just the general way that the show approaches, uh, news and cable news, I think is really disingenuous. And yeah, I guess we can talk about actually Aaron Sorkin had an interview that went up today, uh, or yesterday, um, on fresh air on NPR <laughs> and yeah, he kind of brings up some interesting points that, Again, maybe we can get to a bit later when we go into that general problem. Okay, I, I can definitely understand those uh, criticisms, and I've had some issues with those myself, and those, those seem to be the two most common complaints, I think, against the show. Andrew, I think between the two of us, you've definitely been the most, the, the more positive of the two of us about the newsroom so far. This episode is pretty much considered by everyone to be the worst of the first four episodes. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes, I believe I would. Um, I have been the most positive. I've been, and, and I feel it's almost to my own detriment because while I was willing to put up with a lot of concessions with the narrative and the characters and I kind of dismissed a lot of it especially when we were talking in previous episodes mainly because I found myself too much enjoying the Sorkin dialogue comedy and I viewed it most mostly as comedy come on anytime Charlie Skinner is on the scene it's 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 pretty hilarious can we, can we get a spin-off show just about Charlie and his life <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I think if we if we just put Sam Waterson anywhere, we'll get Charlie. Um, <laughs> this episode in particular was ridiculously horrendous to sit through. And to, to prove to to prove my point is, I think this is the first week where I'm sitting down to talk with you, and I haven't watched the episode a second time because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't put myself through that pain this week, and I think. The thing from this episode that shows how true it is that either Sorkin or someone in the editing room really isn't taking this serious enough has to do with um, early in the episode we see um, Wade come in to talk to Will and he discusses the bank mortgages and the what will eventually be the lawyering up of the banks in America so that the district attorney can't get a, fraud, a fraudulent charge. And it's it's spoke about so dismissively, and we never hear from it again. It's just such a small moment in which we believe that we're supposed to have this connection with Wade, who's going to be this romantic um, counterpart to Mackenzie, and it's just thrown away. We don't, we, do, we don't know what's going on there, and, and there are so many moments like that in this episode which prove to fail the newsroom. I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. 
I am so thrilled because, you know, like you, overall I've been pretty positive about the show so far. And while I can understand a lot of the issues people have with the show, until now I thought that many critics were taking it a bit too far and, and taking it a bit too seriously. And, you know, I didn't think some of the show's issues were ex- as problematic as some of these critics made it seem. And now I've realized why many critics went th- so far in, in, in with, the, with the backlash against this show. And I think it's because critics were sent the first four episodes to view of the show, and this fourth episode is so awful. It really can taint how you look back on the other episodes. <laughs> I agree with you. There are many, many problems with this episode. I think the the scene with Wade, I'm hoping that will come back at some point in the future and we'll we'll kind of follow up on that. But you're right. So many things just went off the rails with this episode. Um, the first issue I, I want to talk about with both of you is th- that idea of sexism, which Andrew, you and I, we talked about a couple weeks ago, and many critics have said that they feel the newsroom is a very misogynistic show that that advocates for very traditional gender roles and frequently has female characters being undermined and subjugated and put down by male characters. I totally agree with that in regards to this episode. We have scene after scene of Will McAvoy just basically insulting women to their face uh, in this episode, and it made me very uncomfortable. Corey, how did how did you feel about the show's depiction of women in this episode? It was pretty awful. Um, it was really, really bad in pretty much every way, because um, it it does this weird thing of um you know on on the one hand you could say that like Mackenzie McHale um she's kind of set up in an interesting way in that she's kind of the smartest person in the room and and weirdly Olivia Munn is the smartest person on the show Olivia Munn yeah i don't yeah, yeah. i don't know it's weird but um but you know that's fine but just the way that it dealt with the female characters in this case was so condescending like, why is it only the women who care about these trashy magazines? Um, and, you know, maybe, th- maybe there is a little bit of truth to, you know, generally these kinds of shows and like, you know, stuff like Real Housewives and things are generally made to appeal to women. But the way that the show kind of set it up, it was almost like the women were a straw man. I read a thing on, uh, Natasha Vargas Cooper's Tumblr, uh, where she kind of poked a hole in the whole idea that, Will is on a mission to civilize. And apparently in this episode, what he was doing was civilizing the women. Right. Which is really, really kind of, I don't want to say that it's hateful, but it's certainly chauvinistic. I, I kind of want to take, take a point on this one. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to dismiss um, conversations about Sorkin being ridiculously sexist in this show anymore. Cause he is. However, as far as I can tell, and tell me if I'm wrong, but in this episode, while he's on a mission to civilize, 
it's not necessarily the fact that these are women coming up to him with gossip news. It's the fact that people are coming up to him with gossip news. The moment Neil walks up to him and talks to him about Bigfoot for the first time in the in the in the news in the New Year's Eve party, he immediately tells him to walk away for the same basically the same reason that he would have he he pushed the woman's face back for trying to kiss him at that point. Yeah, I don't know. I completely disagree with that. Actually, I think that. Um, the whole Bigfoot thing was more of sort of a joke and, and it's almost kind of like a sweet, like endearing thing at the end where he's like, yeah, I'll listen to your, um, Bigfoot spiel, you know, a bit later. Um, we'll schedule a time. To me, that was done fairly lightly. There, there was no lesson to that except for maybe Will being nicer to the people around him. Whereas when he goes on these rants about, uh, takedown pieces and reality TV and all this kind of thing. I mean, it, like I said, it's sort of hard to say that, um, he's being, you know, totally hateful about it. Like, I, I don't want to say that he's necessarily a misogynist, but like I said, chauvinistic is probably the right word. It's, it, it's kind of the way that he puts women in the position of having to be told that they are wrong for the things that they like and the things that you know, they enjoy, why couldn't a guy be talking to him about Survivor? You know, it, it's just the, kind of the way that it was done was really off. And, and it wasn't just the reality shows either. It was the 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 thing with the gun as well. You know, the, last week there was the whole uh, kind of Daniel Tosh rape thing. I don't think we're going to get into that. But certainly one of the things that, that I heard a lot last week and, and that um, I think applies to this episode is that, you know, women, it's a genuine fear. Like the idea that, that a woman might be raped is a genuine fear. So to kind of poke fun at this idea that she would need to carry a gun, that she's kind of scaring him and making his life weird because she's carrying a gun in her purse. Um, and, and that she keeps it loaded and maybe doesn't know how to use it. Like, again, it's really condescending. Not only that, but I mean, overall, the depiction of women in this episode seems to be either that they are stupid or that they are crazy. I mean, think about you know the reaction uh, of people when he says that he's not going to go out with the woman again, the woman who had the gun, and, and it's just kind of like, oh no, she's going to go crazy. She's a crazy yeah. person. She's a woman, and yeah. she's crazy. And you know, getting back to the the thing with Neil. You know, I looking back, I find myself thinking, I don't think Will would ever sit down with uh, Neil and say, I need to civilize you. You know, you're destroying civilization with this talk about Bigfoot. And at the same time, I don't think uh, Will would ever go back to one of those gossip columnists and say, okay, I'll sit quietly and let you give a presentation or, you know, let you present your views on the value of your trade, um, essentially. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, Neil's a man and everyone else is a woman. And that is a problem, whether the show, whether it was unintentional or not. Yeah. And, and to be fair, uh, you know, Bigfoot, you know, th there seemed to be some really strong evidence that he's real. So. <laughs> hey guys, I have a, I have a question that's coming to me now. Um, I'm thinking back to the Social Network. 
um, <laughs> the the film, and not so much to deal with misogyny or anything or even chauvinism, but the idea of when Sorkin was making was writing that film and it was being made and people were talking about it, and Sorkin spoke about social media, and he said how he has no interest in it. He's never used it. He thinks it's a waste of time. But I think I, I don't know what your guys' view is on that movie, but it was pretty much a critically acclaimed film. It was a film which everyone loved. Now we're talking about a TV show in which Sorkin is doing almost the opposite, in which he's talking specifically about something which he has a vested interest in to deal with news and social, um, the social standard as well as what people talk about. And we can see the complete difference. So is it is the fact of what we're how we're talking about the newsroom based solely on the idea that Sorkin is no longer trying to tell us characters but tell us how to feel about all of these specific things in life? I think that's a major part of it. You know, the thing about the social network is that regardless of whether or not it presents um, you know, new media and and social networking accurately, the core of that movie is a story about one man and his rise to power. You know, the newsroom isn't really, when you stop to think about it, this isn't really the Will McAvoy show. This is the newsroom. This is a show about the news. And it's clear that Aaron Sorkin has some very specific feelings about news and the way that the news media is run and when that becomes a main focus, the main focus of, of what you're making, I think you need to be accurate. And I think you need to get it right, at least on the whole. And and by the way, I I don't think that the social network got anything wrong in terms of the presentation of social media. I mean, the the, the movie doesn't really touch on it, but certainly the details about Facebook are pretty accurate, as accurate as they need to be. But like you said, it it's. That movie had a very specific focus. Also, it helps that it was an adaptation of a book. And I'd read the book before I saw the movie, and it, the, the arc is fairly close. You know, obviously, all the dialogue and everything is invented. But kind of the arc of the story was already there. And he kind of grafted his uh, great Sorkin dialogue and kind of made it into this almost Shakespearean kind of drama. But the yeah, the newsroom is something else entirely. It's like, on the one hand, it wants to be kind of a character piece. On the other hand, it's it's got all these kind of polemics and it's it's so disjointed and, and it's so weird to see it. Uh, you know, this is the same guy that did The West Wing, which somehow had this great idealism, but it didn't feel smug about it, uh, or at least most of the time didn't. Um, and the characters were fantastic and engaging right away and here he kind of does all this work to set them up and they just never quite they're never quite believable um it's hard to pinpoint exactly where those problems are but they're certainly there well i think part of it comes down to the fact that i i I think there's this disconnect between how sorkin thinks will mcavoy should be portrayed and who Will McAvoy is as a person and what I as an audience member am actually seeing. You know, in in the West Wing, I was fully invested in most of those characters and I cared about them and I liked them and I wanted to root for them. 
Will McAvoy as a character, I, I said from the very beginning, I do not think he is likable. I think he, he could be an, a very interesting character, but I don't think he's likable. I don't think he's this noble hero um, or, or anything like that. And, you know, we, we, we have all these scenes of Sorkin presenting Will, giving these these big impassioned monologues and going on about uh, big issues and about how things should be. But instead of agreeing with him and rooting for him and feeling like, yeah, I want to get behind this guy, at the end of the day, I just come away feeling like he's a an arrogant, hateful asshole. I mean, I don't disagree except uh... – it's weird because I don't want to sound like I'm quite defending the show. Um, I mean, I mean, there are there are parts of it that I think are defensible. Well, okay, but if, sort of in this case, I I agree that the character doesn't work, but I don't think it's exactly for the reasons that you're saying. I I don't think he is supposed to be likable. I think that you're supposed to look at him and go, well, here's a clearly talented guy, but he is a jerk. Um, and in a way, like, it's supposed to be ironic that he's got this mission to civilize when, in fact, it's kind of like everybody is civilizing him. I don't think that the, that Sorkin wants you to root for Will. I think that he wants you to root for the newsroom and the mission, like, particularly Mackenzie, McHale, and um, uh, Charlie Skinner's mission, which is to put on, like, a really quality news show. And I think that the the real heart of the problem of the show is that you just can't buy into that because what they're doing doesn't make any sense. You know, with the West Wing, uh, you know, it was a Democratic president. So, you know, maybe if you weren't uh, a Democrat, you wouldn't be as into it. But I think that kind of even if it was a Republican, it would still work because it's just people who want to make the country a better place. And they're in a position where they can actually do things that might be able to do that. And it's so you kind of buy into their struggle immediately. Whereas with the newsroom, it's like they don't invent a struggle, but they identify a problem and then come up with a solution that makes absolutely no sense, at least in my opinion. I can see that. I, th- I think um, I think that makes sense. Getting back to the character of Will, though, I do think that a lot of people find him likable. And I do think a lot of viewers come away feeling like he's this noble, heroic guy. Um, I know, Andrew, you've, you've said in the past that you find Will to be a likable character and you, and you want to root for him and you're fully on his side. The question is whether or not Sorkin wants that to be the case. I find Will as much of as likable a character as I find Barney in How, Do, How I Met Your Mother. I find him likable and enjoyable as a TV character. If he was my co-worker, I'd probably... Sp- Slap him in the face a couple times already. Well, Andrew, we we've talked in the past about the uh, the Jim Maggie Don love triangle situation, and there were a few developments with that this week. How did you think about how that was handled? Oh, it was so it was so lovely. I mean, what's the guy's name? Don. Don. He 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 reminded me so much of why I hated him in the first place. He, he, he always, I always viewed him as someone who, not necessarily intentionally, that's not been proven yet, but has always hindered Maggie more than helped her. 
he there there and it showed so much in this episode it showed that he's caught on to the fact that not necessarily that jim is doing this intentionally but there is an interest there and he's caught on to the fact that maggie has a curiosity so what does he do he hooks jim up with the hot roommate that maggie has so that there'll be some tension in that relationship and then he goes even further to prove to the fact to Maggie that Jim got to bang the roommate and it was glorious it was a glorious asshole moment and I applaud Don for it what did you think of that Corey um yeah it, it yeah it was an incredible dick moment it was like super dick move at the move. same time as 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 Jim points out at the end it did have a purpose he wasn't doing it just to be yeah, a but I mean, he was to, doing it so that he could see how Maggie reacted. Yeah, he was. He could see whether or not she uh, was flustered by this development. I I disagree with that. I think that you know he clearly knew what was going on. He could have just brought it up like a normal human being, but he ended up deciding to be a dick about it yeah i don't know that that whole love triangle is very bizarre to me because i don't i don't quite understand why uh, maggie and don were together in the first place and i don't quite understand why jim and maggie are supposed to be together but it's been look, interesting look, Corey, to watch cory cory maggie's with don because she wanted to bang her way up the ladder of work you believe that about her about that character then 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 Maggie's with Don now because she's a she's the equivalent of a crack addict. She needs Don. She doesn't know why she needs Don. She thinks she doesn't even need him anymore, but she keeps going back like a good old crack addict. And I'm tired of seeing it now. Yeah. I'm 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 ready to see the tenth episode where Maggie finally flips off Don and goes and kisses Jim and we're all happy. I think the the second part of your statement about Maggie is a bit closer to the truth. I feel like Maggie is a character who does suffer from some self-esteem issues. She is feeling a bit uh, out of her league. You know, it's clear that she's easily flustered by things that are going on in the newsroom. And I feel like she views Don as something stable. You know, he he knows what he's doing. He's pretty good at his job. He's he's uh, been doing it longer than she has. She can rely on him, and you know I, I I can I can understand why a character like Maggie would be drawn to a character like Don to begin with. I think what the show is aiming for is that it's trying to gradually turn Maggie into a character who's empowered enough and independent enough by the end of the season that she can break up with him and make her own decisions and, and go to gym. Yeah. I mean, I, I see where that arc is going. It's like, it's fairly obvious. Um, and I wonder maybe if it's, uh, Sorkin, just the way that he's been writing the female characters, it just, again, it, there's something that just doesn't work. Like even the idea that Jim comes in with, uh, Mackenzie and Mackenzie's like, you're going to go out with her. And then he, it's like, okay, so way to telegraph what the love interest is going to be rather than depending on actual chemistry or anything like that. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's something so false about the way the story's playing out. Yeah. 
And I like all the actors, which bugs me even more because I really like all the actors. Even Thomas Sadowski, who plays Don, I think he's great, but it's just not coming together for me. Corey, you mentioned that you, you've had a problem from the very beginning feeling engaged with these characters and, and getting becoming invested in them. Do you have a favorite character in the show? And the same question goes to you, Andrew. Is that, do, you, do you have a favorite character? Is there a character that you find yourself interested in and kind of wanting to, to learn more about and, and follow? Um, I mean, I like obviously Charlie Skinner is great. Um, in this episode, I really thought Dev Patel was awesome. Um, and I kind of want him to be in every scene. Um, but I guess like the only character that really does grab me is, uh, Maggie, but I think that has a lot more to do with Alison Pill. I'm just really drawn to her in general and I think she's fantastic. So, her character, the writing of the character doesn't quite work, but the actor manages to pull me in anyway. But yeah, that she'd probably be my favorite, you know, character in terms of engagement. What about you, Andrew? I don't know. I think I, I think I'd have to cop out and go with Jim because while I think what I find the most interesting about him is while he stands in a position of some power and some intelligence and is able to conduct himself in a manner that would be above many other people in any other job, he still is able to be manipulated by those around him, whether it be Don, Maggie, Will, or Mackenzie. He's he's somehow still being directed in a fashion that he just allows in life, which I find oddly interesting. I don't know why. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to tell you who my favorite character is, and I want you to, to keep up with me here, because some people might not understand how this could be the case. I think that Dawn is by far the most interesting and the most developed character on the show so far. I think pretty much every single character in the show is two-dimensional, except for Dawn. And, you know, Andrew, you and I talked last week about how... In, in many ways, that episode sort of presented Don as a tragic figure. You can t- you could tell that he wants to do the news well. He wants to do what Will is doing. He's good at his job. He he made the bad decision of uh, transferring to the other show, and now he, he he's frustrated. At the same time, it's clear he's very smart. He's good at manipulating people, uh, as we could clearly see in the case of Maggie, and. By the end of this episode, we could see that he was – he's actually he, – his heart is in the right place. He was there to defend Will at the end of the episode. Um, he is, quote-unquote, a real newsman, as Will put it. Um, and I feel like that character, psychologically, is the most complex of everyone in the show. I kind of want the newsroom to suddenly switch gears and focus on Don and make Don the focus because I feel like right now he's by far a more interesting anti-hero than Will McAvoy. Does that make sense? Actually, no, that makes it makes perfect sense. And you might actually be right. I mean, like like I said, even Maggie, I don't think that the writing of the character is good so much as the actress, but yeah, you're you're right about Don in that he's pretty he's got facets. There's like different sides to him. He's kind of a little bit hard to pin down. 
but yeah, it's funny because actually one of the better moments of last night's episode was when he kind of stood up for, you know, quote unquote, the right thing. And you could feel like it was a big moment for the character. Then again, like I said, when you're tying things to the the mission of that show and the fact that the mission doesn't make any sense, uh, it's it just becomes really I don't know that whole final ten minutes of the episode was so bad. <laughs> oh man! I mean, I mean, Corey, Corey, what else do you want other than for it all to be tied together thanks to Coldplay? <laughs> it, that, oh god, that was so yeah. cheesy and melodramatic. I was I was cringing. In my seat. It, God, it was so bad. And, and the worst part of it was that all I could think about was the uh, second season finale of The West Wing, which has like a full six or seven minute sequence set to Dire Straits Brothers in Arms. Oh, right. Um, where the president is kind of like driving to the uh, press conference and he's still deciding whether he wants to run for reelection. And it, like that scene was just so amazing and there was so much pathos and like in this case there was just because what the first of all the idea that all of the these characters have problems with each other and that they'd all get tied together and be cool with each other just because they're reporting on a really important breaking news story is ridiculous and then the news story itself kind of the way that they present the media, like the the actual media coverage, is so disingenuous. I mean, uh, sure, like there was the whole flap with NPR reporting that she that uh, Gabby Giffords had uh, died, but like the fact is, when CNN and all the other stations reported it, they didn't say that she had died. They said that NPR was reporting that she died, and they were trying to verify that. So like the, the show approaches it with this like smug attitude of like, Oh no, you know, we're not going to listen to NPR because for some reason we're not going to believe them because we're a good news show. I don't know. Just the whole thing was so bullshit. Well, I mean, that's that, that definitely talks to, it's more Sorkin making a point as to how news is presented as he's been doing repeatedly over so far with this show. I mean, yeah, that's what news stations do. They don't say that she's died. They say someone else has reported she's died and we're waiting for verification. And I notice it myself a lot of the time whenever I'm watching the news. I remember even when um, Michael Jackson died that I was watching CNN and they were reporting that, let's say, for example, Fox has reported that right. he's died. And and they they made sure every time to say it that, they ha- that someone else has reported. So therefore, they're passing the proverbial book of um, responsibility of that news, of what they're saying to that other person. They can still say it, and they are not, they're not literally wrong, because they're not... <laughs> and, and it's Sorkin, and it's Sorkin just, just saying that, that that method of saying the news is wrong, and it's him, as, we've been, as Andrew and I have been saying for the last... However, however, how, the last month of this show that it's him getting on a soapbox saying, I'm telling you how to do the news right. Like, here's, here's the problem with that, though. It, okay, let's take, like, this particular story as an example. Um, NPR uh, reported that she had died based on, I think, one reporter spoke to a police officer or something. I don't remember the exact details of that story, but basically, you know, the, this one reporter for NPR ended up... Uh, 
admitting, yeah, there was this big mistake that was made. But the reason that they, that the other networks, uh, would take their news is because NPR is considered a reputable news source. Now, they screwed up. That happens. Um, you know, so they hedge their bets by saying, you know, NPR says it. We haven't confirmed it yet. You know what I mean? But that's part of the whole idea of breaking news. You take the news where you can get it and you report the facts as accurately as possible. If that means hedging your bets, that's what you do. I mean, we saw like just recently with the Supreme Court decision on healthcare, um, CNN and a couple other stations just completely messed up on that. These things happen, but the pro, the problem that I have with the way the newsroom presents it is that it uses our our hindsight, our knowledge of the event to know like, oh, they're doing the right thing. Oh my God, isn't it so great that they're doing the right thing? When the fact is, that's not how news works. They take the information that they can get from the reputable sources that they can get it from. If NPR is a reputable source, they would have presented it. I mean, it's the idea that it was this big moment where they were standing up for something great is to me bullshit. Like, it's just, that's not how it works. Well, I, well, I think, you know, the, the other thing that contributes to the unbelievability of the whole thing is the fact that you've got the ratings guy running in going, what are you doing? You need to report. You need to call it. It doesn't matter if you wait and see if it's accurate. You need to call it. And just the, the fact that a ratings guy would be there telling an anchor yeah. how to do his job right then in the moment just seems no, it's so insane. absurd to me, yet it allows for Sorkin to create this really nice, clear, black-and-white moment where you've got the, um, the, the good guys in the newsroom versus the big, bad ratings people. Right. Um, and and right. for them to, to be right in the end. Um, and it just felt really dishonest to me. Um, but, you know, we're, we're starting to run a bit... Long, so I want to make sure we 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 cover everything real quick. You you mentioned that you were really um, drawn to the character of Neil in this episode, and you really liked Dev Patel's performance. I gotta say, by the end of the episode, I just wanted someone to hit him. I wanted him to shut up. I felt like, okay, this is a cool little character quirk that has been taken too far. I mean, here he's going to come in on a weekend and do a PowerPoint presentation about it. He's going to constantly reference it whenever he can. What is what is going on here? See, you missed the genius thing about him doing it on the weekend, which isn't that he did it on the weekend. I believe that because he's like obviously a little bit nuts. But the fact that he convinced other people in the newsroom to come and listen to his presentation is like amazing to me. I I don't know why, but I just love that. Um, Like to me, that storyline, it didn't mesh well with the episode itself, but that felt like something straight out of um, uh, the West Wing. Like remember on the West Wing, I think they did it once a season. They would have that thing of the um, kind of listening to every crackpot. Right. Like, they and and it reminded me of that like it was just this like weird little thing and you know we're going to see how the other characters react to him and that kind of says stuff about them like dev patel's character is not all that interesting per se but just that eccentricity i liked that and i wish the show kind of focused more on that kind of thing rather than these polemics about how news today is so awful and here's how you fix it by apparently making the news more like keith olbermann I think my my problem 
isn't necessarily that Neil has a thing for Bigfoot. I, I mean, that that could be that's that's an interesting little character quirk. My problem is that for the first time in the sh- in, in in the show's four episodes so far, a lot of time was spent on the character of Neil, and we learned really nothing about him. The only thing we know yeah. about Neil is that uh, he, he he blogs. He's got a hot girlfriend, and he believes in Bigfoot. And I think maybe if that detail about Bigfoot had, it, you know, if this whole subplot had come a bit later, when we've learned a bit more about Neil as a character, and we actually kind of can view him as a three-dimensional person, I think then it would feel more more appropriate. You know, as it stands, this early on, I was kind of like, why are you telling me this about Neil? You know, that's interesting that he. Uh, that, that, that he believes in Bigfoot, but I'd rather learn something else about him. I'd rather learn something more fundamental about who he is as a person. Yeah, no, I, I hear you on that. That, that. that makes sense. Andrew, do you have any thoughts on Neil? I guess it didn't bother me as much, mainly because I kind of viewed a lot of the little things that showed up with him over the last few episodes to, to maybe just give me a small assessment as to who Neil is. So this Bigfoot quirk just kind of it didn't it didn't it didn't become the only thing I knew about him and it's not just the fact that he blogs or has a hot girlfriend it's the fact that when you see him at the bar with Jim he's always looking around going like oh the girls are gone and he's he's trying to help Jim into pushing him into a positive relationship with Maggie or something he's He's trying to create a connection with people around him. Small things, but sure. And even last week, when he was bringing up the news item of the the foreigner who lost his jo- lost his car, and uh, it wasn't last week; it was two weeks ago. And Will ending up helping him out with the bills and such. Those those little things kind of help um, give me an idea of Neil. And this Bigfoot thing is just, it's just another piece of the puzzle. Yes, it was a lot louder than all of those little things I just mentioned, but I didn't, it didn't bother me as much, I guess. Okay. That's, that's fair enough. Let's move on to our main topic of the evening, which is the idea of gossip news and celebrity news and the, the, the type of quote-unquote journalism that Will McAvoy really seems to abhor. As we mentioned, he, he basically claims that he's on a mission to civilize and to do what he can to rid the world of the, this, this terrible civilization-destroying trend of gossip reporting. What was your take on that theme? Uh, Corey, why, why don't you go ahead and get us started? You can't really disagree with Will on that. Uh, it's pretty awful stuff, like especially the tabloid stuff um, with the Hope Davis character. Like she writes a writes for a tabloid and does takedown pieces, and like it's pretty abhorrent. But it's just the idea that there's in any way like a parallel, or that in any way those elements of society can't coexist like the idea that a good society is mutually exclusive from gossip columns is ridiculous to me like it just doesn't make any sense and the show is constantly calling back to like you know the 50s and 60s era like quality newsmen and like murrow and all of those guys and what did do you think like tabloid papers didn't exist back then too like they were 
there and they were probably just as bad. Andrew, your take? Do you agree with that? I agree with Corey, but I think I think the thing about this isn't isn't quite so much the idea of whether they exist or anything. It's the question of whether they're worth existing. And while I'm pretty sure the three of us will say that we're not quite interested as to whether Britney Spears had a child who handed off to whoever's grand I don't I don't remember the whole of the, the joke that they were making. The the fact that every time that I walk outside my door and I talk to anyone that small tidbits like that is what kind of gets you in the door of the conversation. I think that does give some value to the the gossip column as as valueless as it is. Of course it does. People love to gossip. People love to talk about other people. Celebrities are just people you know. I mean, it's it, is it awful? Probably. Is it like immoral? Maybe, but it's still like it's fun, it's entertaining and so it it serves a purpose. It's not like it shouldn't be what the world runs on, but whatever. It's kind of like the difference that I found when, like, I would I, I I would talk to people, and you you come to realize that when you talk to certain people, that the gossip column is the only thing they they would talk about, things that would be in the gossip column. Right. And the moment that you bring up something a bit more heavy, a bit more Will McAvoyian, if you'll allow me, um, that 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 then you see their limitations, and then you start to say, wait, maybe there's something wrong with this 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 relationship that's going on right now. But the the gossip column is there for its own little reason. Is what I'm going at. I I think this episode and 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 that subplot in particular is a perfect encapsulation of what I think many people have a problem with with, with the newsroom, which is that even when the newsroom says things that we might agree with, and you know we might agree that uh, the Tea Party isn't what it says it is and that the Tea Party is maybe a, having a negative impact on society. Uh, we, we, we might agree that there are problems with the way the new broadcast news is run, and we might agree with the fact that gossip columnists and, and celebrity news isn't really the purest form of journalism, and it, you know it, it's very shallow and superficial. The problem is that Sorkin, through the mouth of Will McAvoy takes it to such an extreme and is so vitriolic in in, in, in what he says that I, I feel like I, I end up wanting to root and and support the people that I normally don't. You know, <laughs> I, I don't want to support celebrity gossip and, and tabloid journalism, but as, as Will McAvoy was saying these things uh, to the women in this episode, like, you know, why do you do what you do? You should quit your job. You're destroying civilization. I wanted to defend her. I wanted to defend these women and be like, no, they're not. They're not that bad. You know, they have the right to get paid for a living, to make a living writing about what they want to write about if there's an audience for them. It's it's not so much what Will McAvoy and Aaron Sorkin, by extension, are saying in the show that people have a problem with. It's the tone in which they say it. That's a pretty good point. I think that that might be the key difference between the newsroom and the West Wing, which is like the newsroom has this like has this mission. It has this goal of explaining to you why everything today related to news and culture is awful and here's how it should be. As opposed to like the West Wing, which, you know, 
both shows are idealistic, but the West Wing was more naturally idealistic. Like it just took, you know, like here's a problem, uh, that there's like a trade agreement that won't go through. And wouldn't it be nice if these two parties got together and like, you know, hashed it out and did something nice? Like there's nothing about that that's like talking down to the audience. It's just saying like, wouldn't it be nice if it, if things were like this? And the newsroom first tears things down. It creates straw men and tears things down and then tries to build something on top of it. And it just doesn't work. Right. I mean, which which is kind of ironic because one of the main complaints I think people would have about the state of modern broadcast news is that it is so divisive and it is so heated and many um, broadcast news networks aren't really willing to take a look at multiple sides of an issue. And while it's critiquing that, the newsroom is also perpetuating that. Right. And, 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 and being, you know, quite hypocritical. You know, getting back to the West Wing, that was a show that was about politics. And if there's any area in which you would expect there to be lots of fighting and lots of division, you know, it would be in politics. And yet that show did a very good job of demonstrating that people in the Democratic Party were flawed and people in the Republican Party were flawed and both parties also had really good, noble leaders. I mean, there was a, I think it was season two, there was a fairly major character uh, by the name of Ainsley Hayes, who was a Republican, who became a major part of the Bartlett White House. And the show treated her with respect and acknowledged that, yes, while this character disagrees with everyone around her, she's very smart and very capable and is, is worthy of respect. And, you know, dialogue. We don't get any of that in the newsroom, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, that's because the newsroom, I feel the newsroom takes its own stance to deal with the fact that they're talking with the educated elites who who feel it's their duty to shout louder than the than those that they feel are less educated. Well, in the West Wing, which I have to admit um, I've never seen, oh. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, it's it's based on fictitious politics. While maybe a lot of the events were inspired by reality, it's based on fictitious politics. So Sorkin got a lot of more leeway to say, wouldn't that be nice, and be a bit more kind about it. Yeah, well, that's why... I mean, I, I wrote a review of the first episode of The Newsroom, and in that I, I basically said, like, the downfall of this show will be the fact that uh, it's set in the uh, recent past and uses actual news events. And this episode doesn't do anything but confirm that. Right. You know, I would be, I, I would be interested to know if Sorkin's views on politics and opinions in the news – you know, have they changed radically from 10 years ago when he was doing the West Wing? You know, if Aaron Sorkin were to remake the West Wing today in today's political climate, would we would he still give us a character like Ainsley Hayes or would he argue that things are too divisive? You really can't have dialogue and one side is definitely right while the other side is definitely wrong. I have no idea. I have no idea, but I kind of wish that <laughs> I kind of wish I, I should just rewatch the West Wing instead of watching the newsroom. And and Andrew, 
You you should be watching the West Wing. What are you doing? Yes, you should. You need to see it. And Sports Night. Do, do I need to do I need to bring out the excuse bag? <laughs> no, there's no excuses. There are no excuses. Look, it's people. It's people like you that are that are destroying society. You really are. Yeah. The downfall of civilization. Yeah. Uh, it's a good thing Corey and I are here to civilize. Yes. On the other side of the news, Walter White <laughs> and Jesse Pinkman are back. Magnets. <laughs> Okay. Um, is there anything else that either of you would like to say about the fourth episode of the newsroom? Just for a moment to say it for saying it's sake, because I, I don't think this is really worth discussing, but it's just a, a, a slight character moment. You and I, Andrew, have been discussing the idea of um, the Will and Mackenzie relationship and the fact that it's either repulsive or interesting that it's slightly obvious that eventually Sorkin wants for Will and Mackenzie to have some form of a relationship again, uh, even to the extent of romantic. And we even see that moment where Mackenzie is, makes a, a slight slip, if I noticed, where she almost refers to Will as her boyfriend. Right. Come on, Aaron Sorkin. Can you be a little bit more subtle? I mean, really? Mm. <laughs> you have to actually have her say, after three years, that Will is her boyfriend? The script for this episode was just really awful and really disappointing coming from, from someone as talented as Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're all in agreement about that. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this episode of Navigating the Newsroom. Don't forget you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and be sure to check out other podcasts on Film Geek Radio at filmgeekradio.com, including Cinema Fix and The Thin Place. Uh, Corey, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you online and, and find more of your work? Um, they can find me at justatad.wordpress.com. That's where my blog is. Um, they can also find my new podcast there. I've done one episode. I'll have another one next week about The Dark Knight Rises. Um, you can also find that on... Uh, iTunes, just search up Just a Tadcast. And yeah, that's I think that's about it. Oh, and I'm on Twitter at Coryatad. So find me there too. Well, be sure not to give The Dark Knight Rises a negative review or the fanboys may uh, find you and murder you. So be careful. I'll do it. I'll totally. I'm going to love the movie and then just say that it's awful just because. <laughs> just, just, just to do it. Just to fuck with them. All right, Andrew, where can people find you? Um, they can find me in Albuquerque as I am hunting down Walter White, <laughs> a.k.a. Heisenberg. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Gman Reviews and gmanreviews.com and anything else I don't think is worth saying right now. All right. You can find some of my writing at thekuleshoveffects.com and filmgeekradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. And don't forget, if if you have an opinion about the newsroom that you'd like to share. If you disagree with us or you feel that we missed something, please write in and, and let us know. You can comment on the website or you can email us at navigatingnewsroom at filmgeekradio.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, guys, 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 listeners, I want you all to realize Breaking Bad is on no. Yes, in case you, did, in case you missed it, Breaking Bad is back on and you should be watching it. You, you really should. All right, I think that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Andrew, sign us off. Thank you, everyone. That was Navigating the Newsroom. And just remember, I am the one who knocks. Mm-hmm.
This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.